from recruiting and consulting firm Riderflex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your Riderflex podcast episode of the day. Trevor Jones on the Riderflex podcast. What's up, Trevor? What's up, man? How are you, Steve? I'm hanging in there. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm, uh, I want to get into links, global intelligence, and want to find out all about links. But before we go down that path, why don't you tell the listeners a little something about Trevor? Give us some personal stuff, family, where you grew up, why you went to Tulane, even though you went to Cherry Creek High School in Colorado. I want to know all of it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So Cherry Creek High School to Tulane in New Orleans, for anybody that knows uh, those two places, it's a big that's a big transition, right? Right. So, I, I saw that on your profile. I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's a story there sure. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, man. No, New Orleans definitely opened my eyes a lot just to the the kind of humanity and, and diversity in our country, right? So right. Um, that, that that certainly shaped me a little bit. Definitely. Right, right. Because 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 Cherry Creek High School. I mean, that's a pretty sheltered environment, right? I mean, that's yeah, pretty- yeah. It was bigger actually. You know, Creek is a bigger school than Tulane. So if you look at the undergrads, so it's it's huge, right? I mean, so sheltered, anonymous, you know, very kind of, it it got you in the, in the mode to go to college for sure. But moving to New Orleans uh, changed my life. And then I was actually learned to play in bands there and uh, wound up being in the music business after the great recession. for the So this, so this kid from Colorado goes to Tulane, he ends up getting in the music industry. Okay. Well, let's go. Oh, let me go back though. Tell me about your family. Are you, you, your mom and dad, give me a little history there. Any siblings? Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, so folks are from Texas. Uh, you know, I escaped in the womb is what I like to, to say, but, um, you know, great, great family, you know, like awesome grandmas, especially in, in Austin and Kerrville, uh, still very close with them down there. But I'm, but, but we're a Colorado family, right? I mean, I, I grew up, I was born in Denver, grew up here, um, you know, running around the mountains as a as a Boy Scout when I was a kid and that kind of cool. thing. And, cool. um, you know, my, my dad's a big influence. He actually, you know, he works with us um, as an advisor and and kind of an admin uh, person now and was was initial money in too. I mean, he he was uh, an oil and gas guy, he built accounting software for, for oil and gas. So really, you know, riding that probably emergent or nascent wave of business coming to, to Denver and Colorado from elsewhere in the United States in the 80s and 90s. So Okay. He's been a huge influence on us, and uh, you know, mom is mom is awesome. What can I say? Leah Jones is a saint. How, <laughs> uh, so sorry. So your dad was doing that for a living. Um, he he wasn't an entrepreneur though. He or was he? You know, I mean, it was one of those situations where I think they had probably a hundred employees by the end. But yeah, I mean, they they grew organically. And, oh, they did. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, so and so so okay. that so that influence is strong, right? To to go out and get the deal versus versus just go get get kind of investment cash and see what happens, right? So um, that, that influence is big and it's, it's helped out a lot and given us a lot of frame. And now I'm running into people that, uh, that he knew that he used to work with that are kind of becoming either customers or, or partners, really? particularly in oil and gas because we serve natural resources as, as part of what we do, right? So, so that's yeah, what you, were you the only kid? No, I got a little brother. He just got his PhD uh, from the School of Mines too, so. What? 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 They, what? So one of the boys goes off to start his own business, and the other boys a PhD from School of Mines. Damn, they got to be pretty proud. Yeah, one's one's brave or stupid, and one just has a tremendous brain. <laughs> That's part of it. Uh, so yeah, Eric Jones is—he's uh, oh man, his his brain is literally popping out of his skull. So quantum physics was was his what uh, thesis? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Quantum physics from School of Mines. Okay, yeah, he's he's a smart kid. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be an investable kid one day for sure. So, so how the hell did you? All right, so you graduate Cherry Creek. How did you decide on Tulane? Walk me through that. Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, I for all intents and purposes thought Tulane had a, a beach. You know, I was Colorado kid and had never been to New Orleans <laughs> and uh, visited one time. And actually, uh, an older brother of a friend at Creek uh, had 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 brought me kind of around to some of the, I guess, parties at the time and stuff. And it was. Um, became readily apparent that, that that's where I wanted to be. Um, okay, now wait a minute. Let's pause right there. So that's what really happened. You went to New Orleans to a couple <laughs> of parties, and you're like, I got to be here. This is Yeah, I guess we're really, yeah, we're getting down to the to the nuts and bolts. Of the, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> that's basically exactly what happened. I mean, you know, I got great grades at Creek, and I got great grades in, in grad school at DU, but uh, let's just say there was a, a little bit <laughs> at Tulane there. It's hard to study during Mardi Gras, right? So, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a party town. So it was a good time. Needless to say, going to Tulane was an awesome experience for you. It was a trying experience too. You know, we had Hurricane Katrina during that time as Ooh. well. So kind of evacuating, seeing how you know the city was devastated, and then we had the civic resurgence. And I say we, like I still you know I'm there. I mean it's it's near and dear to my heart. But so very challenging, but also you know, triumphant watching the. Uh, the town come back you know what really happened is i there was very few musicians uh like right after the storm because everybody had to leave and so um those of us that did come back i was probably at a you know advantage just being a kind of a small fish in a small pond because of what had what had just gone down i was able to play with some of the you know the the kind of uh the greats some of the funk the masters of funk that kind of invented what, that kind what? Of music did you play so, did you play in high school did you play in bands in high school you know, yeah, I, d I definitely did. And it was kind of a, a hobby, but going to New Orleans kind of just, it, and it, honestly, there's a lot of entrepreneurial kind of analog there because you're, it puts you in a situation where it's do or die, right? I mean, you're either going to, I guess, kind of execute um, or not. And, and so for whatever reason, just kind of being immersed in that environment and not really being technically trained. Uh, yeah, I was just able to. Wow. What'd you play? I played the guitar and, and sing. Yeah. Wow. And you sing too? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're playing gigs down in, down in Louisiana, sure. like after the hurricane. Yeah, absolutely, man. When only part of the town, part of the town was uh, dark still. I mean, most of the town was dark. I mean, it was, <clears throat> it was, it was a very intense uh, vibe to put it like that. Right. Just like oh, the, bet. just the, the what had happened. I mean, it's the worst natural disaster in U S history. And, um, also just the culture and I guess volume of, 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 of art and culture that New Orleans brings to the United States, just all of that mixed up and, and also being like 19 years old and, you know, a Creek kid. So maybe I wasn't like super <laughs> aware of, of so the world cool. yet. <clears throat> so just like what, you know, all of those things, all those factors combined, I think was, was pretty impactful. And, and yeah, definitely had a, a bit of an impact entrepreneurially because it wasn't, there was no guidebook. There was no, you know, it was, I could call mom and dad at home. And like we said, they're great. But other than that, it was, you know, far away place and in a post uh, disaster recovery environment. So it was interesting. All right. So that sounds like a very cool time. What'd you do after school? Yeah. So I just kept, it was uh, graduated in 2008. And so that was, you know, kind of when the economy wasn't great. Uh, psychology, psychology major, psychology major. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to take all this stuff off the internet. Uh, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> went on tour you know so i mean that was it we were making cash in hand and so we we played music for the next 
<clears throat> seven to eight years all around the you, country. You, so that's, I, what you'd make, that's what you did for a living, play gigs, travel. In my 20s. That's how I paid the rent in my 20s, which is looking back on it, I'm like, how did we <laughs> some months, you know? Uh, but we rented a, or not rented, we bought a, you know, 1989 Ford Sprinter RV and cool. toured around the country for, for eight years. Um, wow. That that, yeah. that 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 eight years is an experience you will never forget. I mean that yeah, that's, that's it's like a whole lifetime packed in the you know from <laughs> uh, from what I can remember, which is like the you know the the, the latter two thirds. Uh, you know that's like a whole lifetime to to pack to pack right. in just a couple of years. So we could do a whole know, we could do a whole episode just you telling <laughs> us stories from that. Right. Yeah, we can do music. If there's music business, some music business entrepreneurs out there, we can we can go down that rabbit hole all day long. For well, sure. real quick, before we get off that topic, who's the most famous person you 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 know interacted with? I guess like you want to tell a one quick story about a famous person. Sure. Anybody you want to share? Go for it. I guess you know, in an early expression of the entrepreneurial thing, uh, we actually put on a show at at Red Rocks, and it was oh. called Mountainside Mardi Gras, and um, I had. Eight, eight or nine bands from New Orleans come to Red Rocks and play like in August, early August. That you set up, you you organized. Yeah, yeah, I ran the whole, I ran the whole thing. So we did the. It was, it was wild, man. It's a, it's a good way. It's kind of like betting. It's a good way to either make or lose a lot of money in one, one, uh, one <laughs> shot. It's not like B two B SaaS where you can kind of you know iterate and make adjustments. It's, it's all one, <laughs> one shot. Um. So anyway, anyway, uh, you know, I happen to be able to play with. Uh, with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band uh, that night, and meet cool. meet Dr. John, and just like you know, some some real legends, right? And cool. um, and cool. they were excited to be in Colorado too. That's the other thing is you know, Red Rocks is such a draw that that really uh, is special for equally as special for them too. So it was a cool, it was a special night for sure. It was it was right. nice and, and got to play with some some heavy hitters, but um, yeah, we'll, cool. we'll have to grab a, uh, a coffee or a beer and I'll tell you about some other. Some yeah. Other yeah. Yeah. Cause I got to know about the deeper stories. I got to know about all the drug, drug and alcohol stories. I got to know the deep stuff. We'll go there. We'll go there. Sidebar. Yeah, <laughs> man. I don't know what you're talking about. We were, we were, we were totally sorry. The whole time, so we'll, yeah, we'll, uh, I'll let okay. you know the, the VH1 behind the music. Um, yeah. Right. 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 So at some point you're on this sprinter bus going, okay. I, I got it. Yeah. What am I really going to do with my life? Walk us, walk us into the transition. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, uh, man, such a great question. So I was actually, believe it or not, uh, I, I had, I had loved international affairs always. I was always okay. kind of like reading the Economist, like a big dork backstage when, you know, everybody's doing all the stuff you're just talking about. And, uh, you know, so what happened is I wound up climbing up a, uh, volcano in Panama while I was traveling. So I went cool. to Panama with a girlfriend at the time and we, cool climbing up this thing it's called Vulcan Baru and it's on the border of Panama and Costa Rica and you can see the uh, Caribbean Sea the Pacific Ocean and Panama and Costa Rica from the summit all at once and nice. I don't have a lot of eureka moments uh, in my life I, you know it doesn't happen often I'm kind of plot typically plotting through my own thought process uh, in a pretty slow way but for whatever reason on that uh, volcano I just kind of had this eureka moment that you know the the music business was just not going to be uh, my full-time uh, endeavor <clears throat> moving forward. And, okay. it, you know, because it's tough, right? I mean, it's, you're living in a sprinter van, like we're talking about, you know, what are, what are we really talking about here? So, <laughs> right. uh, and trust me, it's awesome. And, and in no, like, I still play a lot of music. I'm still, um, I fly to New Orleans, you know, pre-COVID <clears throat> quite a bit to, 
to do that thing. But for whatever reason, just this nice. particular morning, I just kind of, it just kind of hit me. And so, you know, the next logical step to follow uh, international affairs and, and foreign policy, which have always kind of been my weird secret hidden passion uh, was to go back to school um, and, and, and kind of immerse myself via academia. And, and so DU um, has a, a fantastic foreign affairs school founded uh, by Madeleine Albright's father after he escaped uh, Czechoslovakia um, in the, okay. uh, sorry, the 40s, I believe. So I have to check my history a little bit on that. But essentially, it's this great piece of international affairs, academia, and history right here in Denver. So I didn't have to go to DC or New York. Um, and I love how much we're focusing on Colorado in this, in this kind of interview, because our scope mm -hmm. is quite mm -hmm. global. But um, it changed my going back to DU. It's called the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Going, going back there just completely 180 my life, like changed everything. Okay. I mean, I went from, you know, playing in bars late at night to just two or three years later, uh, presenting my research to the, you know, State Department and flying to DC and actually flying to Geneva, Switzerland and talking about things like humanitarian intervention. And how are you funding? Um, how are you? How are you funding all this? Who's, yeah, how's, that's, a, that's yeah. a great question. You know, I'm, I'm a lucky, I'm a lucky guy. You know, I, I, I have, you know, my family's got some resources where I'm able to, okay. to go to go to school at this point. And, um, okay. Okay. you know, also, uh, I, I'll also mention when I'm traveling, I, uh, I'm pretty, uh, austere. So <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> the host, you know, staying in, which is always a, a contrast, especially early on in links too, when you're, kind of, when we were kind of trying to save a lot of money, but traveling around to spread the word, um, you know, trying to kind of, uh, stay at hostels, Okay. And snack shower, and then you're putting on your suit to go to to the meeting at the you know UN okay. or whatever it happened to be at that point, and so okay. that that contrast was just really interesting thinking. All right, all right. I didn't mean to break your flow. You traveling? You doing the studies? Okay, no, no, cool. no, no. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's all part of it's all part of the journey together, right? So, um, yeah. I mean, it just it cha it changed my perspective, the people I was interacting with, the things I was thinking about, the um, problems I cared about in the world, right? So. Um, you know, once you get out of the United States, you're, you enter, um, depending on where you are, into a situation where you might have maybe a bit more of a lack of security or, you know, mm -hmm. human rights or, you know, human dignity might not be quite as, quite as upheld, right? And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of putting a, mm -hmm. a bit of a soft touch on that. But um, once you kind of, I guess, leave our borders or look abroad, um, you know, there's some other problem sets that you can start to attack entrepreneurially and, um, th that's, I think the, also the interesting thing, and I'm not trying to skip ahead or, 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 or ask your questions for you, but, um, you know, the international affairs world's kind of over here. I know my hands cutting out on the, that's all right. You're good to go. And the entrepreneurial world's kind of over here, but like connecting those two things, um, is something that's, um, not super apparent to people that are in academia, mm. nor are the problems that are international super apparent to the to the entrepreneurs out there um, mm. necessarily as good well. Point. Domestic yeah, good, um, good problem, point. and and not that we don't lack for domestic um, issues to go ahead and, and try. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but compared to third world countries, I mean, come on, it's not even. Yeah, seriously. Some, yeah, some, right. some, some of the problems we think we have here compared to other countries, like, come on, it's not even close. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. And and it is OK to to talk about that because we're all people in the world. Yeah. Right. So, right. Um, you know, it's, it's cool to work on domestic stuff. It's cool to work on international issues. And increasingly, they're they're overlapping, too. So that's mm -hmm. that's. Fine.
So you're seeing this. So this your point is you're starting to see this. You're starting to see opportunity. You're seeing like, okay, what, what, what can be, what can be done here? I see, I see opportunity. Okay, go ahead. So now you're about to walk us into you formulating links. I think go for it. Yeah. So after school, I meet, uh, you know, my, my former founder and business partner, uh, he was a former, uh, foreign service officer and actually was a secret service agent for a little while as well. And so he was very plugged into DC and some of the, um, I guess, international points of business procurement and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, as it turned out, his passion lay elsewhere. So we were consultants for a little while, did some great projects, but I really took over um, as CEO of Lynx about two and a half years ago. Um, and it was at that point we started producing technology. So we were a consulting firm first uh, oh. doing things like, yeah, we were um, helping CEOs going from places like Chicago to places like Cairo, um, you know, helping them with the security and political risk of that scenario and giving them kind of these static reports and PDFs and some advisory and, and consulting services that they were able to, to use. Um, and, but, you know, the margin on that is so, uh, it's so limited, right? I mean, you're, you're carving out just hourly consulting stuff. And, and I don't know about your guys' models, so we should, I want to hear about that too. But um, it's, it's interesting kind of when you start producing tech, you're like, oh, I, I see how this could, could kind of replicate and, and scale. And so that kind of started it, started the idea for, for what has now become links today. Um, and give us the, and give us the three minute, three to five minute elevator pitch for links. Go for it as it stands today. Yeah, sure. We're a B2B SaaS platform for natural resources and security. And essentially what the platform solves for is that analysts and also C-suiters are going to all these different websites um, all day long to get data from social media, news, internal um, databases and websites, and then you know whatever else they're dealing with. So uh, we suck it all together in one place. We're a data aggregator. And so uh, we use a lot of data visualization, uh, geolocation, and then some dashboards to put um, all the data that either, you know, the security risk officer or that risk officer for a mining or company or oil and gas company needs to see um, in one spot. And that can take different forms. Um, a lot of it is security based. So terrorism, crime, theft, um, protests, um, roadblocks. These are the, the issues our clients face abroad. Um, and we can talk about the kind of particular countries and and markets we operate in. Um, and then on the other side of the equation, kind of more of the sustainability side, um, oftentimes it has to do with environmental and social data, um, which oftentimes, you know, those grievances produce security situations, if you think about it. So if you think about a community that uh, has grievances against a mining company for polluting water, <clears throat> that can turn into a security issue too. So we kind of, you know, co collapse all of that into one map um, and, and dashboard situation. So, so that chief risk officer or chief security officer can, can see what's going on. So we're a data aggregator. Um, you know, we work a lot with, with geo visualization, um, big data. We have some nascent machine learning functions as well. Um, so some of the, the NLP work we're doing on social sentiment for, for miners and oil and gas um, is kind of built into the dashboard function as well. Um, but yeah, we're, we're basically solving for this issue that we really all experience um, all the time, which is that there's a million places to go get your information. Um, and it's, it's growing every day. The amount of data is growing every day, especially due to IoT sensors and the prevalence of things like GPS and 
um, even some new satellite partners, which we, we have here in Colorado that can, can monitor assets quite cheaply and efficiently. So um, we kind of made the decision strategically that, that rather than go out and create some sort of new data set for um, risk or security, there's a lot of firms out there that are kind of doing that already. Um, you know, we, we, we'd make more of a tool, more of an aggregation tool um, for that analyst. Um, to make so their you pull, so you, you, you pull information from a bunch of different places and put it on one platform for the security officer to see and monitor. Is that a layman's term explanation or no? That's exactly it. I couldn't, I, I, I could have said it more succinctly. Like okay. you just, I couldn't have said it better myself. And then also um, where that's displayed is a map. So it's a, it's a very, very detailed, highly granular global uh, map that can show millions of data points very, very rapidly um, for those same individuals. Because so, right, because uh, right now, if I'm if I'm like the uh, I don't know head of security for Nike or whatever, I'm looking at a bunch of different things. I'm logging into a bunch of different places. I'm trying to gather all this information from a bunch of different resources. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah, so you might you might uh, learn about a piece of intelligence from, let's say, the New York Times or Washington Post. Mm. Um, maybe you have an Indonesian language newspaper that you'd like to extract some information from. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Maybe the UN has put out some great information that's publicly available um, on that Indonesian market or, or where some of the you know risks have happened um, around particular assets or or kind of along the lines of certain actors or or, or attack types, casualties these types of things. You can filter all that stuff, aggregate it all really quickly and see it on the map. And Interesting. Everybody, everybody understands a map, right? Like it's a, mm -hmm. it's a, a map is an ancient tool that, you know, we kind of intuit well co cognitively. So linksglobalintelligence.com. Who's your target uh, client? I mean, a certain size company or what, what, what are you targeting? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Mid-size and major oil and gas and mining companies are our our primary target right now. You know those those companies really experience the security and also the environmental and social risk in market, um, and it's really hard to move your mine. It's impossible. Uh, it's a fixed asset, and then you know pipelines, um, things like ports, uh, factories. You know these are the kinds of fixed assets that really experience these these risks. Um, and I'll also say those same sectors, but on the finance side, right? I mean, we have a we have a push towards making sure that investments are, you know, not only safe and secure for communities and workers, but also environmentally sound and are going to promote some sort of aspect of of social good, right? You hear the Black Rocks of the world kind of endorsing um, this movement towards ESG, environmental, social, and governance data, um, and that's really important for us to kind of nail that aspect to, you know, not only because we know it's coming down the pike in the market, but also because we know that um, it's, it's going to be really useful as a tool um, to kind of mitigate some of those risks and, and security issues that stem from uh, those environmental and social grievances. What's the model? Are you, is it, is it per user? Is it the size of the company? Is it month to month? I'm walking through the model a little bit. Yeah, we do. We actually do a per asset model right now. So, um, you know, it can be, <clears throat> there can be hundreds of data sets that pertain to a particular asset. And again, a mine can be quite small or it can be a few uh, kilometers or, or miles long. You know, it can be, it can be quite localized or it can be kind of a huge thing. So we, we want to make that the, I guess, alterable unit in our, in our pricing. Um, and so we price on asset, uh, you know, we, we allow um, 
a lot, do, actually dozens of users within our first tier uh, when we price because, you know, you might be two or three guys in downtown Denver and you have an asset in Africa and you need to know what's going on. Or you could be like one of our banner clients in Lima, Peru, and there's, um, you know, several hundred of you working in a security operations center. And so, you know, going user by user one by one is <clears throat> is not really, you know, doesn't make a ton of sense. So our, I guess our tranches or our tiers for our pricing tend to be quite wide on the user side, but but um, it's the asset that kind of drives the the pricing model. Um, and then we do a bit of a data configuration uh, period up front, you know, just we don't want to kind of um, okay. Okay. ignore the custom needs of, of the client. We also don't want to be a custom development shop. So we kind of um, we call it configuration or, or a little bit of discovery. Okay. And then it's a, it's what you would expect from a enterprise B two B SaaS model, um, you know, for the for the rest of uh, the year, um, which is a kind of a fixed price point. And then if they want some custom dev or some other modules, we can do like satellite <clears throat> data, um, some of the more advanced IoT stuff, and that'll cost a little bit more. But we we really want to shoot for simplicity, I think, in in that model. So okay. Okay. Do you have a lot of competition in this area, or do you have is is your is your platform super secret patented technology that nobody else has or is it you know talk to me about that <laughs> sure yeah that's uh it's it's so interesting right so um we have a lot of competitors in the traditional risk and security sphere because those are industries okay. that have existed for in some cases hundreds of years right i mean think about the lloyds of london or the control risks of the world where <clears throat> they've really been around for a long time um have a big you know, sizable chunk of the embedded market that probably isn't going anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, where there is a lot of, um, that said, I should also mention that those security problems are um, really big hair on fire issues. In other words, um, when there is terrorism around your asset, people are getting kidnapped, there's roadblocks, there's business discontinuity. Um, even though there's a lot of competition, there's also a lot of problems and there's more problems over time and the problems get more complex. So the demand side of that equation grows. Okay. okay. I think that's important to remember. Okay. On the flip side of the business, on the sustainability and ESG side, you know, you really have very few uh, nascent or emergent competitors that are, because it's very, it's very tough. And, and, and I say it's interesting because when we say ESG, we're talking about environment and society. Well, if I come up to you, Steve, and say, let's talk about environment and society. Hmm. Are we talking about anything specific? Are we talking about, right. a, we're talking about vegetation? Are we talking about water? Are we talking about dust yeah, in the air? You're right. Exactly. About social grievance, which can, you know, one uh, situation which really may empower human rights, um, you know, may have a different effect on the economy, right? So we have to balance all these different things. Uh, and so what we like to do is really try to break that down and, and be a little bit more granular because we know if we can focus on just the water, just the vegetation, some of those particular specific granular pain points that industry is experiencing, then we're not just building an ESG tool. And so because there are so many little granular problems um, and you know, also because ESG is kind of new and sustainability and impact investing has been around for a while, but uh, you know, the idea that we should be building this into our base risk framework and enterprise is very, very new. Uh, that allows for a lot of kind of frothiness and, and, and um, mm. new ideas, you know? And so that's, that's kind of what I'm preaching when I talk to other uh, technologists or even students. Um, DU happens to have me back to, 
to teach once or twice a year. And so when I talk, um, you know, I, I say like, there are so many problems that we can, we can attack on that sustainability side. Um, if we can only just match the technology solution to whatever mm. that problem happens to be. Um, so okay. yeah, not very many competitors. Okay. Tell us, tell us about the company size. So are, how many employees today? Yeah, totally. So we have, uh, there's five of us total. Okay. Uh, we have one full time, one FTE, uh, and then four member managers, right? Um, so we're actually an LLC at this point, and then probably switch over to C Corp, uh, you know, fairly soon as we do, you know, do some of the upcoming activities I was telling you about. How did you um, raise? How did you raise the cash for developers to build the software you needed for this thing? How did you get that done? Yeah, sure. You know, it's been a combination of just getting a lot of consensus and buy-in and sweat equity. So you know, I've certainly oh. have spent much of the last two or two or three years kind of just trying to create that energy and momentum around what we're doing translation we're translation for the listeners trevor called his friends and said yo listen can you build this for me and i'll give you a, <laughs> i can't pay you anything but i'll give you a piece of the company i mean that's how that's that goes exactly what happens so sweat equity definitely plays into it and uh <laughs> and i will say that yeah our, our cto matt and i we start a lot of sentences with yo you're you're not wrong about that so <laughs> that's exactly I, can just hear, I can hear the conversation he's like wait a minute my buddy who like played a band for 10 years, he's calling me saying he wants me to build a bunch of software, but he can't pay me anything, but he's going to give me some, <laughs> he can give me some equity on something that's going to be worth some money someday. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm, you know, it's really, what's really quite super <laughs> quick anecdote. What's crazy about that is I was in Bogota, Colombia with uh, a vice minister of foreign affairs and we're walking out of the steak restaurant. And I look over and Matt is standing there and, and I say, you know, probably, yo, we probably yeah, say, like, like, how'd you get, did you even know he was going to be there? We didn't know each other. We were strangers. Oh, oh, oh gotcha. Okay. okay. Which is even crazier, right? And so I go up to this guy, you know, you see people that look like an American when you're traveling, you go up and say hi. Oh, gotcha. Say, yo, now, yo, I live in Denver. Yo, I build software. Yo, I'm in, you know, I, he's a human <laughs> musician too. You know, so we're, uh, we're friends. We're, you know, I consider us friends too. And I, and I, and also he is just an absolute uh, monster on the kind of dev side and just, you know, great. cranks out some functionality. Oh, so great. that's like, you can't ask for that. That's, that's lucky. That's, you can't, you can't even necessarily hire yourself into into that situation sometimes too. So, so. some sweat, so some sweat equity, and did and then some fan, did you get some some family angel money there? Some some loans from loans or investment or something for family? Okay. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then um, you know after that, it's been organic and just trying to, okay. to do pay pilots and get subscriptions and no other know, outside cash. No other. You haven't no, done no, no institutional cash. No, and and um, I guess to, to date, you know, we're pretty proud. We we built up a pretty significant network in Latin America and Europe, and it's been nice. It's been organic and friends and family at this point. So are you, are you cash flow positive? Are you making money and making profit at this point? Or are you still scaling? Yeah, 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 our margin is really great. So we we are even in COVID times, uh, you know, cash positive, which is which is nice. Sweet. And, yeah. Thanks. Um, but but I will say, uh, it it I don't think COVID has. Ex increased exploratory budgets around the world for for B2B. <laughs> I think we can all logically probably intuit that, but um, I can just see, I can just see you're, you're talking to a CEO. You're like, listen, ESG, let me tell you what that means. And I'm going to talk to you about why you need my service, yeah. even though you're, even though you're cutting expenses right now, I'm going to tell you why you need to add one. Yeah. I bet the sales, I bet the sales uh, uh, efforts this year have been uh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we're B2B SaaS and international too. So um, I sell in Spanish a lot and that it, all of those elements together can tend to draw the, the sales cycle for sure. And I yeah. mean, that's, that's difficult. Do you so, speak Spanish? 
I do. Um, I was lucky enough to learn early enough, early enough. I kind of packed it in the brain. And then at this point, I, I uh, yeah, I'll be giving a presentation next week um, to 20 different mining companies in, in Sonora, Mexico, actually. Ooh, wow. Um, okay. So All we'll, right. send, we'll send that data. We'll tweet that out. And so you got this thing off and running. It's producing revenue. It's revenue. It's cash flow positive. You don't owe a, a big VC firm. You didn't let them buy in. You didn't give away control of the company. You don't have a bunch of loans. That's so right. You, you, you know, good for you. Good Thanks. For, good, for, good, good for you. You got this thing off and running. You've, you've, you've scaled it the smart way without having to take on a bunch of cash to, you know, let somebody take control of your company or anything like that. I'm assuming you're still in control. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, firmly. And I think that, you know, that's important and it's, it's, it's tempting, right. To say, right. let's put the card before the horse and build something that's awesome. I mean, look, that would probably shorten the sales cycle in the short term. Yeah. Man. Um, but we do know that there's this opportunity kind of on both sides of the coin we've been talking about all over the world as soon as you get away from north america and europe oh, yeah yeah you just yeah. see an incredible oh. need for digital transformation tools period like i don't care what i couldn't so, agree more i couldn't agree more we could do a whole podcast on on the opportunities outside the united states so many entrepreneurs that have never traveled they've never been to other countries they just have no idea we just, there's, so, there's so many things we take for granted here and there's and there's so many opportunities in some of these smaller countries i mean i just talked to a guy that lived in jamaica for a while and he's like, look, man, he's like, I just was hoping I had fresh water and I hope they had milk at the grocery store when I went down there. Yeah. He's like, we, we, we yeah. take so many things for granted here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, no, there's, I mean, and it all, it is a mindset, right? It's a, it's a mind frame of, of saying, you know, am I, can I apl apply that same rigor exactly. to Los Angeles as I'm applying to Lagos, Nigeria? Or so, you know, mm -hmm. whatever your global example happens to be, because people, all need a variety of you know very basic things so you can speak to that kind of b2c market <clears throat> around the world and then you also have this wealth of um well i shouldn't necessarily call it wealth because it's kind of a, a positive term but you have a, a breadth of complex global issues yes, security, yes. you know security capital s uh esg yep. sustainability supply chain i mean that's huge wow, now that, oh yeah 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 and what, then, what know, yeah. What percentage of your revenue is outside the U.S. from all the clients you have? Are you are you do you have 100%, more outside? Hundred percent. Oh, hundred oh, percent of your revenue is outside the. U wow. How about that? Wow. Yeah, you got all kinds. I think of it's kind of a. I think it's kind of a sneaky backdoor. You know, you're kind of. Uh, it's not lower hanging fruit because it's very tough to go get that revenue. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, the language and cultural and, and selling barriers that we're kind of talking about. But I do think if we prove ourselves in a in a Lima, Peru, and a Nigeria, and a, in a London you know, we can come back to some of the investors here at home and, and, and clients here at home. And Agreed. Say, Agreed. Um, Agreed. You know, look, at, look at what we can do. And I think, and I think we can, I mean, we've gotten to yes um, in, in those markets. And that's, Spe um, nice. Speaking of getting to yes in a market like that in a different country, what's the most unique cultural thing you've had to do where you're like, okay, listen, when we go here, they shake hands a certain way. They do that, you know, just whatever they do, like certain little culture thing where you're like, okay, I got to make sure I don't screw this up. Anything? Yeah, sure. I mean, in terms of business cultural stuff, um, the Japanese business card is really interesting because you respect the business card in Japan as if it's 
essentially, you know, a part of the person that is presenting wow. to you or what you're meeting with. So I don't uh, shove it in my pocket. I don't like put it in my back pocket and uh, kind of like sit on it. Um, <laughs> very, and I actually love that. I think it's a very um, attentive, cool. aware thing to do, right? Um, so that's one interesting one. Another quick antidote. Um, this is a travel story, I guess, but you know, for a while there, it was okay to travel to Cuba to do a little bit of oh, um, right. business commercial research, which mm -hmm. in this grand scheme of like what you, you know, where you can go and what you can do is, was pretty wild, right? I mean, we're talking about mm -hmm. a walled off economy where nobody really knows how it worked. And like the only thing you could sell back and forth was like chickens and like a couple <laughs> other free, like rice or like be like something just very, you know, commodity staple like that you could sell back and forth so the idea that you go and like try to think about how to sell technology or you know whatever right. else was really really wild so we actually um wound up touring around you know cuba just with kind of our local guy there for a while a couple of years this is when we were consultants too right we wouldn't do this now as a b2b SaaS company but um you know we wound up at a dairy farm and like we're drinking the milk that had come right out of the cow yeah, and like no pasteurization whatever and we're just are you looking, you're, I can just see you're looking over at your friend. You're like, yo, are you going to, I'm gonna sitting here. Listen, and, listen. You're trying uh, to land, you're trying to land the client. The client's handing you the milk. You have to drink it. Yeah. We're like, Oh, we can import this stuff to Colorado. We thought of a lot of crazy ideas in our first kind of year or two as, as, uh, <laughs> as business owners, but, uh, yeah, that whole, that whole experience. And, and there's some other stuff that I'll tell you about on that trip. That was, you know, <laughs> um, behind the, behind the curtain, so to speak, that I'm not going to put on record, but you know, uh... only because, research into i love the fact that you have the balls to the to travel <laughs> to the to travel to these countries drink stuff people are handing you because you're trying to land contracts yeah, you, yeah. You, you've taken you've taken some risks i mean all joking aside you've taken you've it, taken a few risks yeah i think it is, i think it is you know it, you walk that line between kind of bravery and stupidity first <laughs> until you realize your value proposition and once you kind of hone in on that you're you try to reduce that risk, but yeah, we, you know, we've closed several deals by going to markets and shaking hands and speaking Absolutely. of those yes. folks. And I think that's old school. And I also think it's refreshing because yes. people think that a LinkedIn message is going to do it. And it's, I know. it's not at this point. Uh, you, it, I, and now it's even more difficult because we can't travel. Right. So, so can, can we, can we just take a pause right there for all of you out there listening to this episode? For those cheesy cut and paste sales LinkedIn messages you're sending me, I, I never read those. You you are completely wasting your time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should really be so targeted, you know. You uh, yes. Yes. I'd be yes. more targeted than that. So um, I, I admire the fact that you've traveled and shaking hands and kissing babies to land contracts. I love that. I mean, that's, you know, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, look, I think going back to the first part of our conversation, like you spend eight or nine years in the music business and like, you're not super like now looking back at it, realistically, not super prepared to, to go to that think tank or whatever it happens to be. And like, there'd be a part of me, but um, there is something about being an entrepreneur now that is kind of very synchronous with that and kind of lines up. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's been interesting to just try to, to try to make that stuff happen. Plus I love to travel, right? I mean, well, you, know. you just you just took the next thing away out of my mouth right there, which I was going to say, you know, while you're building this company, you're also having a very interesting and rewarding life to be able to meet people, experience cultures, travel. I mean, that's got to be pretty. That's a cool aspect of the job. 
Yeah, I always tell people like I have some, um, you know, Colombian ministers numbers on my WhatsApp, right? So like I just will text them and say, hey, how are things going? And wow. It's like a very, um, that cool. kind of just, I use that story just anecdotally, not trying to brag, I'm just saying that like yeah. that if you just go and you're willing to treat people like any other business person in any other sector around the world, like you're going to have great results because exactly. it's not the United States, you know, people need technology from elsewhere. They need, they need right. stuff. And so you go out and find it and try to help them and, you know, figure out where that gap is and, and you can do it. So I, I think me, it's, let me, yeah. let me ask you a couple of questions around being an entrepreneur. I know we only got 10 minutes left here, so I want to move you towards, move you towards wrap up. So, you've had an interesting ride so far. Love your story. Very, really cool story, by the Thanks. way. I Thanks. mean, you lived, you lived a quote, cool life before you started the business <laughs> and now you're yeah. still living a cool life. Thanks. Are you, are you married kids or anything? No, no, well, no, no dependence yet. Uh, now you just got even, now you just, your cool factor went up even more because now you can travel to these other countries and meet, <laughs> you're meeting chicks from all kinds of cultures. I mean, come on, this is, you're living the life right now, Trevor. I mean, come on. It could be, it could be, a lot worse we're not we're not like uh talking about the the point at like three or four in the morning where you're like head and hands crying because you're so uncertain about what you're you know doing with your life but just kidding that never happens. i love it i love it. i love i love the life you're living let me ask you some entrepreneurial advice so for the listeners of this podcast what would you tell them if they uh want to start something uh, they haven't started they're getting ready to they 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 met some guy at a bar in Colombia that, that turned out to be their friend and they're thinking about starting a business. Yeah. What would you what, what advice would you give them today? Sure. I mean it it does come down to need. I mean, you need to solve a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I would list the problems you see around around the world and rank them in terms of the ones you care about and the ones that are, you know, mm-hmm. attackable or solvable through some sort of solution. Um and then, and then as a parallel, talk to the customers that are going to you know, wind up having to deal with that problem. Because if you're really talking about something they care about, that conversation should be frictionless, right? They should say, yeah, I'm, this sucks every day. I got to go into the office and I got to go to this website and this website. I'm watching the news and I'm going to report. And I, my life is, it's hectic because I'm, I'm not getting what I need. And then try to intuit, you know, how you can start to to make their life a little bit better, or simpler, or save them a little money, or whatever it is. And and that's so just a, a relentless hyper focus on that customer problem um, to solve. And then also, I would say just like patience and the and the long haul. You know, I mean, it's you're not <laughs> when your sales cycle is three to four months long, and and you're building B two B SaaS like you know, there's going to be some days where the best thing you can do is go play golf and like, don't worry about it because you're waiting on nine or 10 contracts to come through and you're letting your team do their thing. And you need to go get that mental space to kind of like figure out what's next. Mm. That's okay. You know, it's, we're in an age where it's not like, just because you're putting in 10, 12 hour days doesn't equal success. You need to just think really hard about that problem that you're trying to solve. And then I do think the um, the pieces will kind of fall into place. Not, not that you shouldn't, you know, apply your maximal effort when it's time to, to, to solve that problem. But. Now, really, really good advice, Trevor. Let me, let me uh, ask you this then. Yeah. Last question I want to ask you here. 
if you had to define your core purpose as a human being on planet earth, what is, what is, what is your core purpose in a sentence? I'll, I'll put it in a word, which would be connectivity, right? Mm. So we have stakeholders on the ground, communities, millions of humans, you know, billions of humans experiencing uh, the reality that's produced by governments and companies, right? Let's be, let's, let's think about that, okay? Mm. And then on, on the other side, you have those governments and companies. And I don't think that governments and companies are bad. I'm not one of those people that is against governments and companies yeah. inherently. I think that there's great folks in both of those sides of the coin that are trying to do good stuff. They're trying to live fulfilled, dignified lives. So if we can build tools to connect those two things. In other words, if I'm a community uh, outside of mine in Cajamarca, Peru, and I don't feel like the water is clean because the mining company made it unclean, and then I'm at the mining company trying to make the water really clean, we're on the same side. We're on the same side. So I'm an optimist, and if we can create the connectivity that just creates that empathic space in between the community and, or the consumer, if you want to put it like that, and the the kind of you know power structures which happen to be enterprise and and you know the governance in the world that's a that's a great place for us to be so uh connectivity would be my my word i know that's probably like a buzzy like type thing to say but uh yeah if we can just create that empathic space and that connection in the middle then um that's a big broad goal the tool's got to speak to it but i think we can do it uh that's great stuff trevor Thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it. Steve, you're the man. This is this is uh, refreshing, man. This is way different than uh, a lot of the interviews I've done. I appreciate the the, the honest and frank questions, and I, I do hope we get to get uh, together in Colorado and you know grab that coffee one day. Oh, coffee? You mean beer? Yeah. <laughs> if you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.